Well, good morning. I, I doubt that you're competitive, but I must confess I am. It doesn't matter what. It can be, you know, a board game or a basketball game or, you know, just being better than everybody else is spiritually. And, and, and as a result of that, I have lots of regrets, okay? I look back and, and I hope next time is better than this time, but sometimes it isn't. And, and so what do we do with these regrets? Uh, because a lot of times I find myself doing the same thing over again. And uh, surprisingly enough, I have the same outcome. I have more out regrets. And that's what we're really talking about this January. Uh, we're talking about regrets and how we can get stuck in those. And how do we get unstuck? And how do we learn from our mistakes <laughs> to be better than this time. Now, I grew up in Idaho, and some of you are tired of hearing me say that, but that just means I'm different than everybody else. And I grew up in extreme poverty. We had no running water in our house. Uh, both stoves, the kitchen stove, the heating stove, were both uh, uh, powered by wood uh, because there's more trees in Idaho than there are people. Uh, and, and I hated it when my dad would arrive home late at night and he would ask my little brother and myself uh, if we had done our chores. Um, now, I was the oldest child. I was very compliant. I would come home, get those chores done, get on to homework, do all the good things that you're supposed to do if you're a good boy. And my brother, not so much. Um, and and his, only, his only chore was he had to bring wood from the woodshed over to the back porch and stack it up, both for the kitchen and the heating stove. And my dad would ask us if we had the chores done, and I would say, yes, sir. And my brother would say, yes, sir. And then my dad would take five steps out onto the porch, and there was no wood. Then going to the woodshed had a whole new set of meaning, really, at that point. Um, and it spoiled our evening. Now, don't raise your hand, but I'll admit, I don't like to admit mistakes. I don't. Um, I don't like necessarily to own all the stuff that's wrong in my life. No, I don't. And, and that's really the subject of our conversation is those kind of things that, that we regret and why owning our stuff might be very important. Now, last week, Pastor Rick uh, talked about we see our regret differently uh, and can see it differently, that we can see it as the starting line as opposed to the finishing line of our, of our life. He talked about two categories, those things which we've done and those things which we've left undone. Now, in the next two weeks, this week and next, we'll be talking about two aspects of that. One, owning those regrets and then redeeming those regrets. So today we're tackling own it. Uh, if I don't want to repeat the past, I have to own my part in the past. Um, if I don't want the past to be a part of my future, I need to pause long enough and be honest enough to own my part in the past. So I needed in these last two weeks to own some mistakes I've made. I know you find that surprising, but I've made some mistakes even here at work. Uh, I've had to own at different times uh, the way that my actions have undermined our relationship. 
maybe some of you have even had to own uh, indiscretions in, in relationships. And, and there's these bad habits that keep popping up and they keep popping up over and over again. It may be this that you find yourself really stuck in your own spiritual life and growth. And, and it's tough to own that fact, that that's what's going on. So why is it that we avoid owning? Well, the answer is pretty easy in my mind. It's really not my fault. That thing that happened, it wasn't my fault. It probably was you that was involved in that. It wasn't me. And, and in that relationship, she said what she said, so it isn't my fault. And, uh, you know, you may say, well, it, it's not my fault that he didn't tell me about this addiction. It's, it's not my fault that it was an open book test and I didn't study for it because I thought it'd be easy and it was really, really hard. Didn't work out well. The best way for us to make sure that the next time is better than the last time is for us to own our part, no matter what the percentage is, of that regret. If we want to start over, we have to own our part. Now, here's the good news. And you can look around you, but be careful how you look at each other. It's, it's not unique to you. So you're a wonderful looking group, but all of you probably have some of those regrets that I don't know about. Uh, you aren't the first person to blame someone else. You aren't the first person to get enamored with your story, so when you tell it, we all cry and feel sorry for you, and, and you don't own your own junk. Uh, you aren't the first person afraid of owning that past. But if you are afraid of doing that, it will wreck your future. So instead of telling a story that, that where people might feel bad for you, um, you can be the hero of this story if you tell it right. Now, I believe that biblically, there is something that is very, very helpful, and it's the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, they had the same issue. So that's why we're going to Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, in case you aren't an Old Testament reader. It, it is the first book in the Bible, fairly easy to find if you're flipping through the pages. And it's a story that helps us understand our own stories. Uh, typically, Moses has been credited with writing it, and he gives us some brilliant insight to us as humans. If, if as we know that it's at least 6,000 years old, this is amazing that something that was dealt with at that point in time still is true in our current situations. So let's turn to the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and it reads this way. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Now, God made us, male and female, in his own image, and he blessed it, said, Be fruitful, multiply, spread around the earth, take good care of it. And, and it just sounds like a wonderful, wonderful plan. What possibly could go wrong with that? And in this paradise we call the Garden of Eden, there was just one rule. One rule. Because if you flip to the next chapter, Genesis 2, verse 15, 
the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. One rule. One rule. We have more than that here at daybreak. One rule. And I could just imagine Adam wandering around the garden saying, really God, just, just one rule? What about all the other rules? I, I don't want to mess up here, God. And God says, no, there's just, just one, just one. You can run around the garden. You can partake in the smorgasbord that is the Garden of Eden, the paradise. All these opportunities just don't eat from that one tree. Now, that seems a little weird, doesn't it? But, but because the one rule really establishes choice. Think about this for a minute. God is basically saying, you can either choose to trust me and love me and think that I have the best in mind for you, or you can disobey just this one rule and choose not to trust me, not to believe that I love you. Now, God wasn't into creating robots. He doesn't have anything against robots today. He just didn't want that as part of his creation. He wanted a relationship. And robots aren't real good at relationships. So he wanted us to choose to love him, to trust him. So it wasn't complicated. Just one rule. Now, how many of you know what happened next? I mean, even those of us who haven't gone to church all of our life, we've, we've heard it out there in our culture. I mean, it, 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 it wasn't pretty. <laughs> it, was, it was the same thing that my brother and I used to do when we were kids. Mom would say, I baked a pie for a certain occasion. You can't have any of it. That was just a challenge. You know, or I baked a cake, you know, don't lick the frosting and yeah, sure enough. Or in, I grew up in Idaho again, and it was, it was pretty primitive there. We had cookie jars, and she would say, don't eat any of the cookies in the cookie jar. And, and my brother and I were very good at this. We learned to lift the lid, pull a cookie out, and then kind of fluff them up so no one would notice there were fewer than there had been before. That's exactly what happened when we were told not to do something. And that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. What Adam and Eve did is not foreign to us. It's part of us. And for those of you who are taking notes, maybe in the side you can write in bold letters, D-N-A. It's part of our DNA. We're born with this. Now, as Christians, we believe that, that there really was just one rule and that that was broken. And, and when God had created everything, he, as he envisioned it, it worked perfectly. He didn't have to have a lot of rules. We were supposed to be in relationship with him and to live under his loving authority. As we sing, he is indeed a good, good father. So this father God would walk with him in the garden, speak to them directly, and so there really wasn't need for a lot of rules. There was just relationship. There wasn't disobedience. There wasn't brokenness. There wasn't depression. There wasn't violence. 
and just a loving relationship with the Creator. But, you knew it was coming, didn't you? Adam and Eve broke that one rule. And here's what we believe as Christians. It's, it's, it's basic theology. It, when they broke that one rule, disobedience and separation occurred between ourselves and the God, our Creator. It's as though that old story that we heard back there in grade school or maybe even before of Pandora's box, it was like it was opened and all this stuff flew into our world and became a part of us. And we became sinners. And literally our bent, our, our human nature is, is not automatically toward good. In fact, the word bent in the Hebrew is the word that's used for child that there is a certain bent. And so this is my bent because that's my child. Now, we know that it shows up early, don't we? As some of you may never experience it because you may not have children. But for those of you who have children, you know this is true. Um, you know, you will discover that there is bent in them already. I didn't put that attitude in them. It just showed up. And, and uh, I, I remember a couple back in Kansas. He was the vice president of the bank and a great part of the church. and Just loved and appreciated them. And, and, and they had two perfect children. And they were just so happy. And they were blessed. And we were blessed to be around their children. And it was just a lot of fun. And, and they were holding seminars for good parenting. And then they decided to have number three. Yeah, some of you are getting the story. Literally, number three bounced off the walls. I mean, literally, he bounced off the walls. And, and this dear couple all of a sudden had no answers for parenting. They were totally frustrated. Literally, I saw them drive into the parking lot of the church and take number three to the nursery and then get back in their car and drive away thinking we'll have one hour of peace that we're not responsible for this guy. Maybe you're still having trouble with that idea that that's our bent, um, that we bend toward not keeping that rule, that we'd rather disobey than obey. So stop and think about your own rules in life. I mean, I thought about mine this week. I, I have a rule that I'm supposed to exercise. My doctor forced it on me, but I've, I've embraced it. I'm supposed to exercise three times a week. I broke my own rule. I mean, I made it. And I broke it. I only exercised twice this week. None of you are nodding in agreement. You're like, Eldon, you're an idiot to do that. But it happens. It happens over and over again. And, and there's this sense that, that I know what I'm supposed to eat. She told me carefully what I was supposed to eat. And, and I don't eat what she told me to eat. But I break my own rules. And then I feel badly about it later. But I do it again. And you say, oh, you're a pastor. You're not supposed to. Hey, I'm human. And the human bent is to violate the rule. And, and I really, honestly, I appreciate the Bible, but I don't need it to tell me I'm a sinner. Because all I have to do is take an honest look at my life, and I realize, wow, there's a lot wrong with this. There are a lot of regrets that come into my life. And so we as Christians believe that 
the story of Adam and Eve is really the way it, it happened. Even 6,000 years ago, it's still very much a part of who we are. And so as Christians, we kind of have a story to relate to this stuff going on. If you're not a Christ follower, I'm, I don't know what to tell you for sure who to put the blame on because I can blame Adam and Eve and they started this whole thing, but I'm not sure how you can deal with that one. Once Adam and Eve break this one rule and disobey, you're going to recognize what they did. It's found there in Genesis 3. When the cool of the evening breezes was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. Now, I think God must be somewhat like me. I think I am created in his image because everywhere I go, I make noise. And so God was making noise as he was walking in the garden and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So they break the rule. And what is their first response? They hide. It just happens. We hide. We hide from God. Now, think about that. That's kind of dumb. I mean, I've done it. But I'm hide, trying to hide from God. This is the sovereign God who knows all things, who created my inmost being, who understands me fully, and I think that I can hide what I just did from God. Makes no sense, but it's just the way I am. So they break the rule and they hide from God. A friend told me this week his story. And, and his story is that he was driving his parents' car and he wrecked it. And so being the smart, intelligent teenager that he was, he backed it into the driveway so the front end that he wrecked wouldn't be so visible from the house. But of course, when his father walked down the driveway, there it was. You could use the hashtag, my brain isn't fully developed, or I wasn't thinking when I did that. There's a lot of hashtags we could use with that. You see, we miss the opportunity to be loved and restored by this God because we just hide this regret. And, and, and I can say, well, I'm sorry. And you say, well, well seriously, um, you've done the same thing forever. So, so you're not really sorry. I mean, I'm not really sorry. I'm, I'm sorry I got caught. Some of you are with me. Thank you for staying awake and answering that. That, that really helps me. And, and so I'm just sorry. I got caught. I was hiding from my mistake, hiding my shame. And, and I think, as we had said before, as Pastor Rick shared, I think of that as a finish line. That's a mark on me, a pox upon me for the rest of my life. Genesis 3.9 says something else. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now sit with this question. If you don't hear anything I say, sit with this question. Who was it that came looking for them? It was God the Father, the Creator, searching for them, trying to find them in their hiddenness.
And God responds. And God is looking for us. I, I should, you've got this down. God is looking for us not to punish us, but to restore us, to release us from regret, and to redeem us, to redeem it. God is looking for us not to punish us, but to restore us, and to release us from regret, and to redeem it, which is what we'll talk about next week. In verse 11, God says, Who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Basically saying, who told you you're guilty? And Adam, of course, says, oh, God, yes, I did it. I confess. I ate of the tree. I really messed up. I, 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 do whatever you want to with me. Just don't touch Eve. Uh, she's totally innocent. Yeah, some of you have read the story, haven't you? That's not the way it went, is it? What really happened? The first thing these first people in the world do, after they sin, they hide, and then here's what they say in verse 12. The man replied, it was the woman. Yeah, some of you say, this sounds familiar. Uh, the woman you gave me. So not as he blaming the woman, he's blaming God because he gave that woman to him. And... She gave me the fruit. Now stop and think about this. If I have fruit in my hand, I just have to eat it. I can't do anything else with it. I just had to eat it because it was there. Verse 13. Then God asked the woman, what have you done? And she picks up on her husband's response and says, the serpent deceived me. That serpent that you created deceived me. And I wasn't equipped to outthink him. So that's why I ate it. You see, in so many ways, there is this, this determination in the response. They messed up, but now I need to blame someone else. Adam said it was her fault. It was God's fault. And I just had to do something with the fruit. But it wasn't my fault. And, and Eve responded the same way as Adam. It's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. And God, you created that serpent. There's a story I was reading, one of my favorite authors um, this week, and uh, she was talking about that she was having her second cup of coffee one morning, and she was walking through the kitchen, bumped the countertop, and it, she dropped the coffee cup. And it fell to the tile floor, broke to smithereens, and coffee spilled all over her. And in that quick, she blamed her husband. And he wasn't even in the house. Now think about that. He wasn't there. And the reason that she says she blamed him was because he was supposed to come home at 10 o'clock, and they had something important to do, so she had to stay up. They had to process it together. And instead, he showed up at 10.30. And they still had to process this important thing. So she stayed up even later. And she's a person who only drinks one cup of coffee each morning. But she had to have two because her husband came home late. His fault. I've been there. 
In that moment, something flashes. In that millisecond, somehow, I would blame others. Now, I don't know that I would be as vulnerable as she was in terms of telling the whole world in her document that that's where she went, but I've been there. I resonated with it. It's the kind of thing that I would do when I get caught. I don't like my story. I'll rearrange that story so it's better. Adam's story was, was mainly true. There was a percentage of that that was his, but, but there was part of it that was true. I mean, it was easy to go there. But guess what happens the next time something like that happens? He'll be right back where he was. It will repeat itself. If you don't own your past, you will relive it in the future. If I don't own my story, I will rewrite it again and again. You see, blame really doesn't make for a better future. It, it, it just allows us to try to hide from our past. In fact, Blame, in some ways, just smuggles my unresolved issues into my future. It's like it sneaks into my backpack, and I just carry it into whatever's next in my life. So I have to own my story. We've got to own our regrets. And, and, and that's really, in many ways, you can even look at the word confess. It's just saying what is and owning it. We need to own our part of the past. And as long as I blame others, I'll just repeat what I've already done. And that's why Jesus came. To set us free from the guilt and shame. That's why God would seek out Adam and Eve there in the garden. He wants to forgive. He wants to create a new day. He wants us to become unstuck. Once you own it, Jesus says he will release you from it. Uh, Matt Chandler, who is, who is another person that I follow from time to time, and, and, and he had a video which, which he was explaining some things about owning it, and, and, and he said something to this fact. He, he uses a term that, that I found really helpful, and he said we need to own it because it's the gateway to joy. And how I imagine this is that, because I'm more about pictures than I am about outlines, I imagine this as, as though I had built my little fence that I'm hiding behind. That's my shame, my guilt, my past. And I'm just going around in circles in that little yard that I've created. And it's in that ownership, that owning my past, as though Jesus comes to the gate and opens it. And it becomes the gateway to joy. When I own my past, that's key for the gateway to joy. As long as I somehow have a story that I disassociate myself from, I won't find that deep joy that the scriptures talk about. But once I own it, the scriptures are clear then there is an open door for me to move forward. 
Paul talked to the church at Rome this way and, and noted that there was a freedom that would come. And, and literally, when I can walk through that gate, I become unstuck. I become unstuck. And there is a new freedom in my life. God did this for Adam and Eve, and he's still in that business. Very much so. He wants to release us from our regrets. He knows that if we let it go, it won't help us. So we have to own it. Now, now Jesus didn't just choose the best people <laughs> to deal with, and, and God didn't with Adam and Eve. He, he, he chose us. Us. With all the regrets we may have, with all the pieces that, that may be wrong, he chose us, and he's looking for us. And Jesus invited those of us locked in that fenced-in section that we've created. And remember what he said over and over to people as he came to this earth. He said, follow me. That was an invitation to step outside of what we've created and to become unstuck. To follow him. It's a path, a gateway to joy. And we have opportunity to walk through that gate today. I wanted to provide an opportunity for that. In fact, in your scoop, there is a big card that talks about, I own this. In fact, I had one in early service, but I had to write there and it was so much on it I couldn't use it at the second time. So this may be a good time for you to even think about what are some of the things that you own? Will you let him open the gate? Will you follow him? Will you allow yourself to start over because I own this, I name it, this is what it is. Instead of hiding and blaming, we can own our part Take a moment to confess our part in all this before God. And what I invite you today to do is on each side here, there's a basket. And in those baskets, there's an opportunity for you to drop an Iona card in it. Now, this isn't coercion. Not everybody has to do this. Do it only as you feel God is speaking to you. But the good news is that you can drop the Iona card in the basket I promise it won't be shown on the video. We won't be asking you to speak next week. None of that kind of stuff. Drop it in the basket and then invite you to partake of communion. Take it back to your seat and we'll wait and take it together. I'd like for you just to, in a moment, I'm going to pray, then there's going to be some music. Jeremy will provide some of that in our backdrop. And then we'll move into a song that uh, of O Come to the Altar. And at that point, you'll be invited to come up, drop off your card, take communion, back to your seat, and then we'll share it together. I'd like for us just to pray together for a moment. Lord, it's hard to believe you want us to leave behind our regrets, our mistakes. And yet you're coming to look for us and we see that 
and you invite us to start over. Help us this morning to own our mistakes and our sin and realize that we don't need to fear you, but that you invite us to follow you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.